from Barika Pod Podcasts. Welcome to Dead Cinema Society, a roundtable film analysis concerned with the revitalization of cinema out from entertainment. My name is Chris. You're about to hear our discussion from Dead Cinema Society 13, where the society discussed the 2008 Charlie Kaufman directorial debut, Synecdoche, New York, starring Philip Seymour Hoffman. I hope you enjoyed this conversation, and if you don't mind, give us a rate, review, and subscribe to our YouTube page, and check us out on patreon.com slash Society. Without any further ado, here is our Kaufman-esque conversation. Okay, Chris, you are starting us off. Chris gives this film a 6.9. I, I will be able to speak to this. I Here will be go. able to speak to this. Here, Here we, we go. go. Here we go. So we're moving on to, I believe it's Aaron. Okay. I'm back. Uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll give it some respect, but it definitely comes with some issues. That's good. That's about 7.6. It, it, it's, it's, it's right. That, that is the exact score I gave second songs. So... Songs on the second floor, you mean? Songs on the second songs floor. floor. That's yeah, it's it's second songs. <laughs> That's not Kaufman. No, I know, no, but but he, go he's out. comparing it. I get the yeah, comparison. I see. I get the comparison. So this is point one better than Black Narcissus. So that's that's interesting. Yeah. Yes. Okay, Paul. Let's see. Oh, pardon me. Eight point. Thank you, Paul. That's right. that. I can live with I, that because I, I, I. But Aaron made a good point because I was like, uh, I thought, yeah, you're you're right on with the movie comp. So I'm sorry. Okay. Don't give it a 10, Yoshi. I don't think a 10 I, movie exists. Listen, listen, I could be, t- I'm tempted, you know, I can be tempted to give it a higher score than it deserves just because of this bullshit that's in front of me. Oh, but, but I'm going to give it what it deserves in my opinion. And that is a 9.4. Oh, a 9.4? 9.4. What? That close to the master. No, the master's a nine seven for me. Oh right. Yeah. Oh nine man. nine wow. five is cries and whispers for me. Right. Gross. I, I couldn't give it a nine five, but a nine four, absolutely. Ew. Jesus, man. Yeah. Dude. Well, let's see. This is one of the greatest films I've ever seen in my entire life. Oh. Final mean, film. I, the final score is an eight point one. Okay. Eight point one. Eight point one. So, so that go that point goes to you, Paul. All right. There we go. That's yeah, and I think it uh, could even be higher for me. Uh, yeah, cool. Um, a year-end okay. movie. So, look, I mean, Sorry. you guys didn't like the film. I mean, Paul liked it. Uh, you guys, not so much. Um, I think I've seen, I've seen all of Kaufman's work now, and uh, this was the last one that I had seen. I had never seen this film, and uh, I think it's his best work. His directorial debut is his best work that I've ever seen. It's an absolute masterpiece in my mind. Um, it's the most different film I've ever seen. One of the most different films. And, uh, you know, I'm just a little person, one person in a sea of many little people who are not aware of me. I do my little job and I live my little life. I eat my little meals. I miss my little wife. And somewhere, maybe someday, maybe somewhere far away, I'll find a second person who will look at me and say, 
I know you, you're the one I've waited for. Let's have some fun. Am I dying? <laughs> <laughs> Let's and, have some fun. And okay. Uh, <laughs> so, so uh, who ranked it the lowest? I forget, Chris? Me. What about this film bothered you so much? Oh, God. Just. I, I respect this story so much, and that's why I said it's a beautiful film. I think this is probably the most inventive film I've ever seen in terms of, like, what it was describing to me and what it was trying to say, but the execution fell so short for me. I was confused, and, like, there, there's a difference between being confused and being like, wow, I didn't like this at the time, but I really enjoy it, and being confused and having to go back and be like, what did he just say? And then, like, having to, like, really, like, chew this film. Like, it, it's like it's like taking a steak, and then you bite into it, and it's gristle. And you're like, all of the other things in this film taste good. Like, why would you leave this in? Like, the way that he was doing time where, like, you didn't know if it was like uh, Caden did. You didn't know if it was a week, or you didn't know if it was a year. Really fucking bothered me. Like, and I, I understand that, like, that's, you know, a little bit of how, how it goes because th he's supposed to be our main character. He's supposed to be our lens and everything. And we are supposed to kind of feel disjointed as he does. But, like, it just felt so masturbatorial. And I could just see, literally, Kaufman is, is Caden in this story. He is so fucking built up to try and make this something that's never been done before that he fails on the base level execution of it. And I gave it a 6.9 purely just because I respect what he was trying to do, but it falls so short. Mm. Mm. I, I, I couldn't disagree more. I, I think that uh, all, all of Chikoffin's films do have this meta quality about it. I mean, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the film adaptation, which he yes. wrote. Um, and the story behind that is that, you know, he was tasked to write a screenplay based off a book, but he ended up writing about someone tasked to write a screenplay about a book. And it made the film so much more interesting than what it would have been, uh, in my opinion. Yeah. So what you're referring to, Chris, as far as time goes, uh, I don't know if everyone caught that, but the breakfast scenes at the beginning of the film, that whole breakfast scene happens over the course of like months. Yeah. And, and the only way to really tell that is if you're looking – and by the way, I should say, you're right. On first view, this film is confusing. So I watched it a second time, and that's where right. I realized that this is an absolute piece of art. Right. And the newspaper, the radio, the TV, these yeah. things in the background are what te is telling us that time is passing uh, at, at such a, a crazy speed and, and you know weeks are passing. And the reason I think what Kaufman's trying to say there is that – when you fall into a routine in life and you're doing the same shit every day, time goes way faster than you, than you think it's going. It's the same reason – it's the way our brains work. It's the same reason we can't smell our own noses or hear white noise because our brains are made in a way that we cancel – as far as memory goes, we cancel things out when it's repetitive to a certain degree. So when you're living the same life every single day and you're stuck in a routine – Life is just passing you by. And um, so that's, I think, what Kaufman was exploring with the time passing like that. Um, synecdoche is a figure of speech in which a part is made to represent the whole or vice versa. And so I think that, you know, that's where the title comes from, where this this theater piece he's making is 
it, what you know what what do you guys why do you guys think his, what's his inspiration for trying to make this theater piece because he doesn't know who he is and, and where he fits into life so he literally has to make it yeah it's 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 interesting that he's sort of like you know it's it's almost like he hates reality but it's interesting that he's obsessed with mimicking it you know what I mean? Like, and, and I think this is touching on a deeper subject of like artists who escape through their art, you know, the, instead of because like regular life is kind of just like dull and boring and it's like nobody's really connecting. And so he's making an art piece that is so big that every single role in the piece, whether they're, you know, whether it's a big role or a small role, his goal is to make it so that everyone is a star. And no, and nobody's a background actor. Everyone's a star, and it's just interesting to me that he's making this piece where he's literally mimicking the reality he hates. Yeah. And I don't think he's really aware of that. I mean, the apocalypse starts happening all around him, and he has no. It, nobody's really even noticing it. Like, like the streets start being coming like the current los angeles streets except worse and there's like gunshots and like rifles going off and explosions and a homelessness situation gets worse and worse throughout the film and the entire world around philip seymour hoffman's character is deteriorating and going to shit and there's viruses happening and stuff and all he really sees is his own little bubble he cannot he cannot see anything but his own little terrible life and and i love the exploration of how Nobody's really paying attention to anyone else. It's just a selfless existence. Everybody's just focusing on themselves. I mean, I don't really know where to take this conversation because it's hard when you guys didn't like the film, and I just would rather focus on all these amazing <laughs> themes of the film. But yeah. uh, go ahead, Paul. No, I, I will jump in. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm kind of laughing right now because I didn't watch this movie a second time. Because uh, what I will tell you, this movie is a masterpiece in how Kaufman captures the aging process. Uh, our, our role in the world, um, does life have meaning? It, it's an absolute masterpiece. Sadly, because we've used the word masturbatory on this show so many times, I thought, oh, God, am I in a vortex of some masturbatory filmmaking? I better back <laughs> off of my nine or plus, and I better get it down into an area because I don't know. So... What appealed to me, what Chris said about, you know, kind of the construct of this movie, it was baffling at times. I consider all of us very intelligent people. We should be able to wade through all that. But at times I was a little baffled and I didn't know if I was in sort of the, the whirl of masturbatory filmmaking. So I backed off of being even more praiseworthy because both he and the movie we will touch on later, um, The Dance of the Reality, just beautifully, either biographically, autobiographically, capture the aging process. Philip Seymour Hoffman. You mean you Sorry, I thought it, <laughs> I've been having computer problems, so forgive me. me Philip Seymour Hoffman, what? <laughs> when he's urinating blood, I was laughing out loud. And I just, I don't think I gave myself permission enough to be to really let go on this movie. I backed off because I felt like I was, like I said, like I was trapped in a Charlie Kaufman. Like I thought the synecdoche was playing out in my life that I was truly having a synecdoche. Like, Oh, you're, I'm now, you're now compromised by the fact that 
the society has regarded Kaufman in a masturbatory light and you're afraid to venture into a nine territory. Because I can tell you, we don't even have to get the year-end review for this movie. This is, uh, believe me, this is a gift to all of us as we age. What are you doing in life? Just these uh, sort of larger universal themes. What are you doing in life? Are you doing something you want? Like Yoshi, you touched on it. The way he wants to sort of uh, poke fun at life, just reimagining death of a salesman with a younger cast. I mean, that alone, I was just giggling. I'm like, this is great. And then, but there's like this, um, he just keeps marching forward. Like what's next? And we know nothing about the, the fact that he might get a grant, but he does. And then he mounts this project that if you've been in theater and you've been around people like this, even fractionally like uh, this character, you're like, these are people, this is what they all want to do. They all want to get to that point where they have, like, I'm going to create my master work. And every time he came up with a new title, I'm, I'm just dying inside. I, I, it's like, this is it. And I, I didn't want the movie to end. Um, I felt like there could be a part two. So um, shame on me. It's interesting that you bring up the um, pissing blood part because it's, it's just interesting because throughout the film, he's like looking for... Re- for proof that he's dying yes and he's you know he's, he's he's studying his stool and he's like there's nothing wrong with his stool but he convinces himself that it's discolored or something but there really was no discoloring to it there's all these things like when he's getting his teeth work done he always th- he wakes up one morning and says i think i'm arthritic you know i think i have arthritis like he's constantly i mean well it's not it's no coincidence that his last name cotard is uh, a syndrome when one mistakenly believes that they are dead so that's what you know. That's what's happening with his character. But the one time that there's actually a sign that something's wrong, he's pissing blood. He is oblivious to it, um, totally oblivious to it. Uh, so, Aaron, um, what was your experience watching the film? Uh, complete frustration. <laughs> um, this movie made me uh, just very, f- yeah, I don't know, like depressive. Uh, it, this movie was a wet blanket. It felt like it had no relief. And, um, you know, the Kaufman choices are very like, uh, kind of like Chris said, like larger than life. Like I want to show this macro idea. And to me, it does, it didn't come together. Like it just kept getting so macro and so disjointed that it loses me. And I, I, I get frustrated in the process and things start to just not not make sense and it's very hard to dissect this film to even say why it is a poor rating to me i mean it's still a seven seven point six um what is the movie about what is the movie about it's about a man that is about to die or is getting the signs that he is dying and having the feeling like i need to do something important with my life I need to make an impact. I, you know, and the, the psychologist gives him that permission and says, well, now's the time. And he's like, well, I just got this, you know, unlimited money supply to make whatever I want. So I'm, I'm going to just go do it. And then, okay. So he buys a ginormous theater, hires hundreds of actors to recreate everyone's story. And it's like, 
like what like that's your that's your big reveal like that's your big purpose to life is to like create a uh a macrocosm of a whole nother reality of life like when you make too many stars when you give everyone like the lead role nobody has the lead role and now we're just back to everyone living multiple i don't know this movie just bothers me I think that it's about dying. It's about, well, first of all, it's about death and time. And it's about how uncomfortable that subject matter is and how nobody talks about it. And I think that's why this movie is uncomfortable to watch, especially if you only watch it once. But it's, it's, it's about dying without anyone ever truly understanding you, I think. And it's about dying without having actually accomplished anything substantial. And it's about regret and it's about, like Paul was saying earlier, how time and memory is so strange and how fast it can slip through your fingers and how the decisions we make, the end is built into the beginning. Every decision we make, the end is already built into the beginning. And yeah, so- but how do you live that life? Like, that's what's frustrating to me. This man is just a wet blanket. Like, he doesn't have any substantial joys. Like, he doesn't. Like he's well, just he's suffering. He's suffering. He's yes. suffering from. Yeah. He's suffering from from the obsession of death. Whereas his wife is the they're they're opposites of the same coin. She's passive, in the sense that like in the beginning of the film she's having coughing fits and like clearly if 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 she was him, she would know that there's something wrong. But she chooses to live the life of 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 a passive artist who's enjoying the moment, who will die young from not paying attention to what's really happening right, within right. her body. Whereas he is the opposite right. where Keep he's going. hyper focused, hyper obsessed with death, <laughs> even though nothing's wrong with him. And so he's unable to enjoy life. And so we see this with the macro micro of their artwork. His artwork is so big. It's infinite in scale that you can't even wrap your head around what it is. And her artwork gets infinitely smaller throughout the film to the point where you have to use a fucking microscope to look at it. And so they are, they are two different ways of going about being an artist about living. Really. You can either choose to enjoy the moment and not focus on the impending doom, but you might, you know, die young. And then you, or you could take his approach where you're super hyper focused on how reality is ever tightening in on you but the 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 tragedy of it all or the comedy of it all is that they both end up in the same place so regardless of how you choose to approach life you're both gonna die but that wasn't realized like he was sick and it never went anywhere it was like i was expecting him to like get cancer and like just down because he never really was sick it was all on his head but he was sick he had you know poor pee and he was drained and like there was clearly something but going he lives on. to be an old man he lives to be yeah an old i man. know and to me that's like that's that's random directing that's like just making a decision to make his life go on longer and it derailed me from the reality of where i thought the movie could have gone or should have gone is like it's, a redemption it's, for it's, a dying it's not man. random it's it's the same thing with this virus, you know, like every time, you know, with the virus being looming over our heads right now, every time you, you, you're a little tired or, you know, it's cold outside and it's cold in your bones and, and maybe you feel like a cold is coming on. Like right now, living at the time of the virus, 
every little thing that that touches us, we could choose to obsess over that and think that maybe I'm getting the virus. Maybe I'm getting sick. Oh, no, what is this going to mean? It's going to affect my job. It's going to affect this. Or you can choose to somehow live with a, uh, a, view, a view of, you know what, the virus is out there. If it gets me, it gets me. You know, mm-hmm. I'm going to do what I can do. You know, I'm going to focus on taking vitamin D, I'm gonna, and I'm going to do some exercise. But, you know, at the end of the day, whatever happens, happens. It's just these different mindsets that you can take. And if if Caden had taken the mindset of, you know what, life is going to be what it is, and, you know, uh, once in a while I'm going to be reminded of my mortality, but, you know, I'm still going to do my best to enjoy this, then he wouldn't have obsessed so much over death, and then maybe he wouldn't have done this absurd undertaking of creating this ridiculous art piece which is ridiculous yeah and 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 the irony is that you know we're not supposed to be rooting for him aaron that's not the idea no i know but the irony is that he's trying to make all these background actors the stars of this movie but it's all about him yeah it's It's all about caden why didn't you had all unlimited money and you chose to do that with your money like that frustration. tragedy. Yeah, no, but it was great. Like the, the the touches, like just to have a voyeuristic touch to have somebody play yourself just for like a stage of his production to watch somebody imitate you. When Tom Noonan's character comes in and I've been watching you and it's like, I didn't know if he years. was the Grim Reaper, but he truly was shadowing. Was God. Right. He was shadowing this, God. you know, I can play you. I, I was just like, oh, my God, this is great. And it was just beautiful and touching. Um, listen, I would say, again, as the elder statesman, a moment is going to come in your life when you realize you are not young anymore. Uh, it could be something physical, something emotional, something intellectual, maybe a combination of all three. A movie like this, uh, as in the movie Dance of the Reality, uh, you're going to feel your age. You're going to realize that life, that time is precious. It's a commodity we can never get back. And thematically, he touches on it. But the fact that we take him all the way through old age, to me, was the beautiful part of this movie. I want this just kept going and going and going. I could have watched another hour of this movie. And uh, I think it's just something you, you might revisit whether you want to revisit this movie, but just you'll start to appreciate if it's brought up in a movie or a book about life advancing and realizing that you're now looking over your shoulder at a, at a vestige of what you once were and you're not that person anymore and you have to embrace who you are. And, um, you know, it's, that's how life is. The tragedy is that you, the young actor will end up in this place of desolation. That's Mm -hmm. what he's, that's what his note was to the young kid in death of a salesman he's they're all playing older people they're all young actors playing older people that was like his shtick in that in that play at the beginning but but he says the tragedy is that you the young actor will end up in this place of desolation and and philip seymour hoffman died like eight years after this movie yeah and he's playing an old guy and in the movie but in and he you know it's but you can feel that sadness on him you know like he he was in a depressive state. Can I? Okay, let me move this yeah. to what I because I there, I have questions about this film that I didn't get that I need. You guys love this movie, so I want to hear why this choice was made. First of all, why? Like, what is the burning building of that woman, the redhead woman? Uh, it's, it's that it's it's a it's a it's a surreal 
approach to representing that the end is built into the beginning. So every choice we make, whether it, it could be that Chris decides tomorrow to he's gonna his computer's having problems. So Chris is gonna buy a new he's gonna he said he was gonna build a computer. So what if the choice to build his new computer somehow he does something to the computer where it's actually going to explode in 10 years. So obviously that's a ridiculous example, but the idea he's trying to represent in my mind is that every little choice you make, you could be making a decision that kills you in 10 years. And that's the weird thing about choices is that these little choices, we think buying a house is a little choice, but buying that particular house is what ended up killing her because she dies in a fire. Why isn't Okay, so that's why it's on fire is because she's going to die in a fire. It, she it says could it. also. It could also be wildlife where we're ignoring the little things around us that one day might be what inflames us and, and goes up in flames. And, well, and then kills everything us would be on fire. His the the house with the blonde chick would be on fire. You know, to me, it was just like this. No, RC. she literally dies. She literally dies in a fire. So th there's a line when she's buying the house. She's like, well, I'm nervous that I've never bought a house myself. And she's like, oh, buying a house is nerve wracking. And then she goes, yeah, I feel like the fire is going to kill me. And she's like, well, we all have to die sometime. <laughs> when that does she die me. in a fire? I, I miss this. It was, uh, it was probably one they, of those phone calls where it's like, your father has died. And he's no, like, one, when they finally, when they finally end up together, mm -hmm. finally. And they yeah. sleep together. Oh, right, finally. right, 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 right. The next morning, he's like, you know, smoke the, inhalation. Yeah, she died yeah. from smoke That's inhalation. Yes. So the the house caught on fire while see the, there's so much like slippage of. But it's life. surreal. It's not. It's mm -hmm. not meant to be this thing you walk away with going like, oh well, that's unrealistic. You know, it's like the whole thing is unrealistic. It's a it's a it's a big metaphor. What else? What else, Aaron? Hit me, hit me with more. Uh, there were okay, so there were times where they'd be on cell phones that look way past techno. Uh, the technology of the cell phone look way past like the cars in the background. I mean, things like that bothered me. Like I'd be looking at the cars and being like, okay, those cars look like they're from like early '90s, if that. And he's on the phone like a flip phone, and I'm like. That he looks like he's on a razor, and the cars look like they're in the early '90s. Like, what is happening here? This movie starts with the advent of cell phones. Like, that they were just they were just invented at the start of this movie. And there's but they that weren't one a razor. They weren't like a flip. Like, hey, what's up? They were fucking huge, you know. And they were in cars, and like, I mean, my mom had one. They were massive, you know. Well, you know, there is that scene where they him and uh, the redhead forgive me i forget her name they see each other they're kind of seeing each other for the first time and they're talking he opens the phone and it's like oh there's there's no connection like i'm looking for a connection you know and and then and then he goes outside to get a connection but right before he steps outside they look at each other you know at the same time it's just these little beautiful things like they're looking for connection mm -hmm. everyone's looking for a real connection and the cell phone plays into that it's and that's what he's looking for his whole life, and he has the opportunity with her, you know, early on in his life. But he but he gives it up to to keep alive this marriage that he knows deep down is not gonna survive. I mean, his wife doesn't love him anymore. She's moving to Germany. He's in denial about that. The connection's right there, but he's afraid. He doesn't give himself the opportunity to connect with someone finally. And the tragedy of the film is that his whole life he's looking for this real connection. He's lonely, he's telling his therapist. 
You know, he wants to do something with his life. And then he finally connects with this woman and then she dies the next morning. <laughs> what about the guy that follows him that, you know, become becomes him Sammy. as the play, but like Sammy. throughout the film, he is like in the shadows and like, clearly it's not reality, but is it like, I don't get that. He, he was, you know, he'd be like sleeping with a girl and this guy would be watching them. You know, like what was I, I have that? my theory, but uh, Chris or do you or Paul, do you have any any ideas? Go for it, Paul. The um, make sure I'm unmuted. There we go. Um, <laughs> why he was. Uh, well, you know, I love what Yoshi said about him playing uh, God. I guess I just saw him initially as a character. Um, initially, I thought he was the Grim Reaper, just a, a passionate Grim Reaper following him around. Like, uh, but then I realized, oh, no, he's this is just a surreal a construct that now Kaufman now has another person like Charlie and we're going to follow him around. Okay. Got it. I understand what's going on. Um, so, I mean, beyond that, I'm sure Yoshi has a thought or Chris has a thought, but, uh, uh, I went in one direction. It then became, it went in a different direction for me. I think the genius of Kaufman is seen when there's hints at possible realities within his films and and there's enough there to be noticed, but not enough to be concretely stated to be fact. And one of those instances is Sammy being God. Um, I don't know that this is, you know, for sure what it was, but just the idea that somebody's always watching you, somebody's always with you, but you don't, you can't see them, and they love you unconditionally, you know, more than anyone else, and for your faults and for your goods. And and then eventually he reveals himself to show Caden all of his faults and all of his hypocrisies by behaving exactly like him. And then there's that scene where he, you know, he comes down as the son of man, in a sense. He reveals himself. You could say that he turns into Jesus. And then there's the sacrifice. He sacrifices himself by jumping off of that building. Um, as a demonstration, if you will, for Caden, uh, for for a possibility of what might happen to Caden. Who knows? Maybe Caden did jump off that roof. Remember mm. in the scene mm. where yeah, he's yeah. he's actually spying on her, like mm -hmm. Sammy's spying on him, and Sammy's in that scene spying on him. So there's an inception of spying yeah. going yeah. on, <laughs> and then Philip Seymour Hoffman goes to jump off point. the roof and commit suicide, but right. then that guy saves him. But maybe he did commit suicide there. I don't know. You know, I mean, it's just okay. with a Kaufman film, it's just like I understand the feeling overwhelmed watching his work. I understand that it's not an easy watch. But for me, there's so many elements at play. It is hard to wrap my head around it. It is hard to decide what what's what and what's real and what's surreal and what and what's and what's you know really what it's really about. But that's really refreshing to hear from you because I, despite the fact that you are talking what I would consider very comprehensively about this film, uh, you're now leaving like, hey, maybe I need to relook at this. Like, this is a movie I would go back and, and revisit. I, I just didn't follow my heart enough on this. Um, I got caught up in the baffling elements of this movie and really didn't see the goodness and the, and the you know, sort of autobiographical resonance with a lot of parts of this movie. But, Yoshi, once again, you really hit on themes and characters and how we and the symbolism and what we need to look at as we 
continue to look at movies because uh, I, so it's refreshing to hear that you needed a second viewing despite the fact that, you know, right now I know Charlie Kaufman is watching this and he's, he's, he's nervously hoping that our aggregate score goes up later in the year when we revisit this movie because he's so tied to uh, numerical analysis of all of his films. But uh, no, this is, it's good to hear from you because you've spoken very authoritatively about this movie and it's really opened my head to looking at Kaufman's work and I'm looking forward to reading his book. Well, I'm in the middle of Ankind right now. If you are watching Kaufman, I'm, I'd love to be in one of your pictures one day. Yeah. Uh, but I'm about 200 pages into his 700-page book. And I'll tell you right now, Aaron and Chris, don't read it. Not that you ever would. But yeah. definitely don't because this is as masturbatorial as it gets with Kaufman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he is – he takes everything to a new level, and he's combining elements from being John Malkovich with the puppeteering all the way to elements from Snecky, New York. Of uh, you know, One of the characters in this book makes a three-month-long movie. It, it takes three months to finish watching the movie. It's, I love it. It's absolutely amazing, Kaufman. I can't wait to see where you go with it. I know I've hogged the mic on this conversation, so I f forgive me, but I do want to bring up one more thing before we move on. Um, He's trying to create something beautiful to hold back his anxieties on impending death. Now, obviously, I would say he maybe fails in that pursuit. But if we're going to look at a saving grace of his character, which Aaron propagated that there was none, I think that his cleaning is his salvation in a sense. You know how he becomes obsessive about cleaning? And he's just, he's just cleaning nonstop? Yeah. Well, if you, if you look at the first scene of him cleaning... On the TV, there's an image of him falling like into the depths of the sea, and there's like a virus following him. Mm -hmm. The TV changes to like happy commercials and like happy songs and stuff when he's cleaning. So the idea is that he becomes obsessive with cleaning, and as long as he keeps cleaning his life, he doesn't have to think about impending death. But as soon as he stops cleaning, the TV switches back to the virus and, and the sinking man. And I know personally someone who escapes through cleaning, and I've seen that. And so that part of the film really played to me as, as like, yeah, you can, you, can, you can really find ways to subconsciously avoid facing the reality of impending death and, and, and avoid facing certain parts of reality by just staying busy, which is what his character ultimately does, which then leads to him starting, sort of starting to discover his anima. Did we notice that people start confusing him for a woman mm -hmm. towards yeah. the end of the film? Yeah. And then like, there's that hilarious scene where, um, what's the actress's name? Michelle Pfeiffer? No, Michelle Williams. Williams. Michelle Williams says, uh, are you wearing lipstick? And he's like, what? And she's like, are you menstruating? It's, it smells like you're menstruating. It smells like you're menstruating. It's like, no, men, men, men don't menstruate, so I don't know why I would smell like that. You know, he's sort of oblivious to it, but I think he starts to transform into Ellen, his anima, his female self. He even mentions a couple times when he's about to have sex with a woman that he feels like he would have been better as a woman. He would have done better as a woman. So maybe this is a part of his feminine sides trying to surface yeah. itself so that he can actualize his identity. And, be, and, and maybe he's been hindered his whole life by trying to be this thing he's not, by trying to propagate his masculinity, when really if he had just gone into himself and let that feminine side free, he would have been able to 
you know, get to wherever he wanted to go quicker. Yeah, no, it's a constant reflection of where his life was. Like, when are we going to mount the show? We've been at this for a while. You know, I, I get it because, you know, the loss of loss of just, you know, we, we joke about uh, testosterone when it starts to go away. You ha- you become a different person. You start to, you know, maybe tend to the gardener a little bit, or I, I, I find myself doing a lot of domestic chores around the house, you know. So it's it's very funny. And uh, so I think probably I, those are moments where I wasn't laughing. I was going, oh, boy, yeah, this does happen. Um, exactly, though. That's exactly <laughs> it, Paul, like- is that the question I think, the hard question I think he's trying to ask is what are we with all these identities that we've given ourselves? That's it. What are we at the end of the day, at the end of our days when we're about to die? What do we become if we're no longer a man of testosterone? Are we even a man? Right. If we're no longer a theater director. You know, if we're no longer a husband, if we're no longer a father, his daughter dies without all of these identities that we attach yep. to ourselves. What really are we? That's it. That's what exactly is male? It. What is female? What that is, you know, I think he's I mean, come on, guys, this movie deserves a second viewing. It definitely opinion. deserves a second viewing. I will. Uh... Well, I'm still getting I'm, I didn't win Aaron and Chris. over. No, so. not at all. This movie is frustrating. I remember finishing this movie like stomping around my house feeling this depressive energy this frustration for this man that like just couldn't look outside himself you know and like grip onto some some life some some love some some of his soul he was so external it was like yeah but where's your empathy man you like all these movies that are like lovely and happy and stuff but you have no, no i don't need a lovely you and have happy. no em- you have no empathy for characters who are suffering like, where's your empathy in the movie? I have I plenty of empathy for characters that are suffering, but you want to talk about a master, a master, national, <laughs> I can't even get the word out, but this is, this is it, you know, like Kaufman, I'm, you know, I, I watched the, the, the interviews, you know, it's like, you're, you're trying so hard to be outside of the, the Hollywood norm, outside of the, the, like, the artist of like, I don't uh, I, I can't even get my thoughts together on this. Yeah, but I think he's, exactly. yeah, I've, I've seen him too. And, but I, I think his, uh, he's hyper self-conscious. He's highly self-aware and, and through a theatrical construct, we all get to look at our lives. Cause this, there's some universality here that I would uh, implore all of you to absorb. Um, and Yoshi, I mean, yeah, you made a great point. Like, what are we at the end of our lives when we start to lose these roles? Like, what, you know, we were having these conversations, which I won't bore our listeners or viewers with at the top of the show. Like, we're talking about parents in our lives and, you know, what happens when they're no longer parents? Do they become friends? Are they supposed to become, are we supposed to reparent them? There's a lot of interesting themes here. There's, uh, yeah, a lot of really cool psychology and sociology that I guess I, I just missed completely on first pass that, uh, and these thematic elements that yeah needs a revisit. Well, uh, we, unfortunately, we have to move on. Um, can, can I end I, with this? Yes, yeah, I would like Chris. To I need some backup yeah. from Chris because he didn't like the film either, but he's been completely quiet. Yeah, and, and and I apologize for hogging the mic so much. So please, uh, you like the movie? It's fine. I'll round us it. round us out, Chris, with with, <laughs> your, with your experience. Who's right? Is is Aaron Sammy giving notes, and is Yoshi? Caden following him and providing the real ones, or are they in reverse? Wait, say that again. <laughs> Remember when he's when when 
Sammy embodies Caden as the director and he gives an oath, but we follow Caden behind him. That's not actually true. She's fine. We'll do that. Which one of those are you? Neither. I'm not in the movie. I don't, I don't want to be in the movie. I turned the role down. <laughs> That's all I have to say. Yeah, I don't really turn understand. the Kaufman look the other way. I'm sorry. We don't know that, that that's the, that's the beauty of this movie is you can look at that and see, see the theater production and see the, the just depressiveness, or you could be Yoshi and see the beautifulness in this production. I honestly don't know where I stand. I think you provided some very persuasive arguments, but there's still things that I don't like about this film. Maybe I need to watch it again. But I'm not going to say anything because I. Need what do you not like, it. Chris? I need to. I need no, to get your. I I I don't like the fact that it is so disjointed. I don't like the fact that it's it, it does not tell me anything as a viewer. It's frustrating, right? It's frustrating. Guys, but guys, that's we fine. Have, we have about 20 minutes to finish the show, so unfortunately, we have to move. move. Uh, yeah. You can, I'll I'll write a blog post about it. How about that? We can. Yeah, let's we can, Kaufman we can, blog post. I'm happy to revisit it. <laughs> I'm happy to revisit it.